0: good morning church what great worship we were uh we were singing and i stopped for a moment and i thought you know i think god really likes this you know i mean i think he likes it when his people extol his virtues and sing about his name and enjoy being in his presence and then a thought hit me i hope this part is as good as the last part i hope he likes the last part as good as the first part Well, I'm glad that you're here. Happy Mother. Yo, Mama. Happy birthday. Happy Mama's Day. Glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bible this morning. I want to tell you, God's kind of took me on a little trip this week, and it's been kind of fun for me. I I want you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, okay? Everybody take the Bible, if you would, and open it there, obviously being Mother's Day. I obviously tried to find a story in the Bible that would apply to mother's. The, uh, one of the standard passages that most people go to is the passage that deals with Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother, and we're going to read that text, but i got to tell you, um, God kind of side-tripped tr- side me, or that's not even a word, took me on a side-tour, detour, that's it. And uh, as I began to, to kind of work through the passage, God kind of stirred my heart about something that... While um, it'll apply to our mothers, of course, uh, I, I believe it's going to apply to all of us. And I, and I believe that God will, will be honored by it. Uh, of course, you know, Timothy uh, was a great man of God. We'll talk a little bit about Timothy. Timothy had some great influence in his life. Paul was a, was a great influence. His grandmother, Lois. Lois, that's a good name for a grandma. Uh, yeah. Uh, grandmother Lois, Mother Eunice were all major as well. And I... I got to thinking about what it must have been like for them to raise their boy uh, without a a husband or a daddy there. We don't know a lot about uh, Timothy's dad. We know he was a Greek. Uh, Most feel like he was probably dead. So there was a grandmother and there was a mother left to raise their family and I'm sure it was a daunting task. Single parenting is tough. Those of you that are Single parents, you have our respect. God bless you. It's hard. We're told in our country today there's 13.7 million single parents. You think about that. 82% of which are ladies. And they're trying to raise over 22 million kids. Think about that. 13.7 million single parents. Eighty-two percent are ladies trying to raise 22 million kids. It's a daunting task, isn't it? It's a task that you might would think could not be done, overwhelming. And yet, when we look at this young man, Timothy, and we look at the influences in his life, we find that they did it. They did it. Mamas without a husband. You can do it. They did it. As hard as it is, as challenging as it may be, I tell you, Scripture teaches us they did it. You can do it if you do it God's way. Okay? Now, let me just tell you as I began to work through the first seven verses, God kind of took me on a detour and changed my heart about what I was going to share today. And that's okay, because that's God's prerogative. The idea that that hit me was this. How in the world can a single mom, or how in the world can you and I live right in a world that is so wrong? And that's on my heart, and that's why I want to look at these verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Let me ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. I just think it's important we do that. There are three phrases that I'm going to lift out of the text that I'm going to dwell on, okay? And I'll kinda, I kind of, hopefully I can paint the picture of why God took me that way. Verse 1, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says this. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. I want to talk to you about that. The way my father, forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of, and here's that second phrase sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am sure. It is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh, and here's the third phrase gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here's a father talking to a son. And if you allow me a little liberty, Timothy, our God, has not given us a spirit of Timothy, or timidity, but of power, love, your Bible might have sound mind, my translation has, and I think a better translation, discipline. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and discipline. And before we pray and we begin, how do we live right in a world that has gone so wrong? The only way is, number one, you and I must have a clear conscience. And we need to know what that means today. You and I must live our lives with a sincere faith. And dear people, you and I need to know what that means today. And then number three, we have to understand and we have to kindle, keep keep it burning, the gift of God. And we need to explore what Paul means using those words in this context, okay? I want us to bow for a moment. And I tell you what, I want someone else to pray. I usually pray at the end of... um, the reading of the word, but I think what I'll do is just throw it out. And whoever wants to pray, now not everybody pray because we've got to get out of here by 2 o'clock, okay? But whoever wants to pray, pray for me, pray for us. Somebody before noon. Thank you, guys. Be seated. Thank you, David. Let me uh, let me take a moment to see if I can set the context of what Paul is doing to Timothy. Okay. Second Timothy is the last letter that Paul will write. It's the most emotional letter he writes, most personal. Paul is about to die, and he knows it. Paul has had a lot of ups in his life, some great moments. Paul has had some down moments. This may be a down moment for Paul. He's prepared to die. He's not worried about that. But it's a down moment for a couple reasons. Number one, everybody's left him. He's pretty much the only Luke is saddled up beside him. And we really don't know just how much Luke gets to be involved in his life at this point. Luke's there, okay? I think the real reason it's a tough time for Paul is... Not just about that he knows he's about to die, but Paul's in his second imprisonment. This is the Mamertine prison in Rome. First time that he was imprisoned, he had a lot of freedom. It was almost like house arrest in some respects. People could come, people could go. He had some opportunities to minister. And, and so, you know, while he was in prison, of course, uh, it wasn't that tough as prisons go. Okay, This time it's bad. The Mamertine prison was a terrible, terrible prison. Uh, maybe like some of our servicemen in, in Iraq or Iran are in. We tend to forget about that, don't we? But it was a, it was a dark and deep and dungy dungeon. Uh, the only light was a little light up above. Paul is hurting. He's old. He's lonely. He's cold. And he wonders when the axe is going to fall to take his life. Paul had gotten word that the boy he loved the most in this world, Timothy, was having troubles as a pastor. Uh, Timothy, he wasn't at Indian Springs Baptist Church. He was at Ephesus. And it was bad. And it was tough. It was a it was a major church in the in the in the expansion of the gospel westward. Maybe that's why it was so tough. But doctrinal errors had begun to creep in. Heretics were exerting pressure. And he knows that Timothy is a different kind of young man. Paul was so bold. Paul, I you know, I don't my vision of Paul, you know, was was a big old strong buckling guy. Hard headed, broad shoulders, big back, you know, maybe a weight lifting type of of dude. Okay. Paul just had a uniqueness. And on top of that, Paul was a genius. So he but he was just a unique guy. Timothy is different. Timothy is a is a frail guy. Um probably needed, he's like Derek, he needed some body fat on him, you know. Uh <laughs> He, uh, he had a lot of illnesses. Um, he hurt an awful lot. I, I think that, that where Paul, the extrovert, was so commanding, Timothy was the introvert, and um, I don't know if he was fearful or not, but he just felt it a lot more. I think that caused Paul great burdens. Now, Timothy was his man when when Paul needed it was a different world then there was a lot of churches and Paul was kind of responsible I think for all, a lot of churches and he would he would filter through and he'd make a preaching point here and start a church there but generally Paul would would send people and every time there was a problem you would think Paul would send someone like himself but Paul didn't do that he sent this frail, skinny introvert because he knew his character. He knew the influence that he had made into his life. He knew the influence of his grandmother and his mother. He knew the integrity of his life. So he knew that Timothy could do it. That Paul, the aged, soon-to-die apostle, was concerned about his young boy. He was concerned about the churches. It's an amazing thing if you study biblical history. Jesus hadn't been gone long before errors started creeping in. It's amazing what people do, void of authority, isn't it? So all this stuff was beginning to, I think, cascade in on Paul. And so he writes this last letter. By the way, Timothy, as frail as he was, is the only guy in the New Testament that is called a man of God. Young people, only Timothy. Paul's not. He is. And there's others that are. Peter is. But it's Timothy who is called a man of God. That means that if someone like Timothy can rise up and be God's man, that means that every person in this room today can be God's man, God's lady, God's young person, okay? And so he shoots out this last letter. And in this last letter, he shares three things that I think are important to Timothy, but, all oh dear people, important to you. In the culture in which we live, in the age in which we live, in the Christian culture, not just social culture, but in the church culture in which we live, there are some things we need to know. He begins in verse 3. The first thing that, that has to, we have to be sure of is that we serve God with a clear conscience. You see that? And that's interesting words for a guy that's about to get his head chopped off, okay? And so I think we need to ask ourselves, I wonder what Paul means by clear conscience. Well, theologians and those who study tell us there's, they make some... We don't really know uh, necessarily. We, we have some guesses, and I'm going to give you what mine is, and I think I'm right. They're all wrong, but I think I'm right, okay? Some said that, that Paul in his life had a clear conscience because he always did with zealousness whatever he was doing. Even if it was before Christ and certainly after Christ, Whatever Paul did, he did all out. He gave 100% to, okay? I think that's a kind of a decent argument. I don't think it's right. Because when you read Paul's writing, especially in Romans, especially Romans 7, you find that, that Paul wasn't always happy about his life. So I don't think that holds weight, okay? Some say that as he stood before Rome, condemned, he knew that he was right and they were wrong, I think that's plausible. I think that's a good argument. But the reason I think that's not right is because Paul really didn't care what other people thought. Okay. Paul cared about God. Paul cared about what God thought. And I think that's important for you and I to understand today that while we want to be loving and while we want to be kind, you and I have to stand on something, and the Bible calls that principles. That call, talks about character and integrity. And so I, I don't think that's that's the right answer. Here's what I think is right, okay? More probably, Paul realized what you and I have been talking about for the next last three weeks. When he had met Jesus Christ, he knew that his heart had been sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus, and now at his death he would die justified, he would die clean because of the declaration of God upon his life. He had fought the fight, he had run the race, and because God had imputed his righteousness into him, deposited his righteousness into him, Paul was content to die with a clear conscience. Let me give you a verse, Hebrews 10, we're going to throw that up there for you. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood, or the word by literally is through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near and notice sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean, notice from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let me tell you what I think is going on with Paul. I think Paul's content to die because Paul knew he couldn't save himself. He had to rest upon the completed work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and the shed blood of Calvary and that God raised him up on the third day and God said it was sufficient so therefore Paul could die without anything having to be confessed. God had taken care of all of it. One said this: "The old warrior is changed in, chained in a dripping winter-cold dungeon, awaiting the executioner's axe. He surveys his life and his conscience is clear. No unresolved weight of sin, nothing to confess. And I'll add, because of Jesus Christ. Now, can I ask you a question? If you're on your deathbed, play a game with me. You are on your deathbed. Are you ready to wing your flight out into eternity? Do you know for certain that your conscience is clean because of the work of another never because of your own work you see paul realized something it wasn't that he was sinless paul knew that he was blameless and he was blameless because of the justification by faith alone in jesus christ alone because of the legal declaration of god that he was accepted by god that's where a clean conscience comes from Last week, I I tried to, and I, you know, sometimes, gang, I spit it out and wonder where it goes. You know? I just don't sit on the front row, I guess. But last week, I tried to help you see that when God forgives, and when God saves, He saves every bit of your sin, all of your sin, past, present, and future, and it'll never be recalled. It's never going to be drug up. Your account is clean because he's imputed his righteousness into you. Paul knew what he used to do before Christ. Paul knew that he was a murderer. Paul knew that he was used by the enemy to break up homes and tear apart homes. But Paul knew what the righteousness of Christ was. And he knew that it was sufficient to save. And it saved him from his sin. And because of Christ, his conscience was clear. And you need to know that. You need to know it not just because when you die, you're going to bust heaven wide open and see the master. You need to know it because it helps you live right now. When all the world is going to hell, you can still live right. Because God is still in control and his righteousness is given to his people. And so first of all, Paul says, clear conscience, okay? Secondly, if you'll notice verse 5, it really becomes personal. He said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith. Now, let me tell you what I think. He's thinking of his son. Verse 4, it talks about emotion, the tears. I think there's a lot of emotion. I want to tell you, I, Paul's not as tough as, as we want him to think, I may be, Because I think Paul knew how to cry. And I think down there in the Mamertine prison, when, with nothing but a little hole up ahead, and he thought about his boy in the ministry. I think there was a lot of tears. And part of the tears was he knew that Timothy had a sincere faith. Now, what does that mean, sincere? Well, it's kind of an interesting word. Let me tell you a little, give you a little grammar lesson. Um, the New Testament was written in the, what's called Koine Greek, which is common Greek, okay, street language. Okay? And the Greek language is just very expressive. Just, I mean, they use specific words for specific uh, ideas of love. There's three or four different words for love. Okay? We say love, you know. We tell our wife, honey, I love you. And I love Monday Night Football. And she's thinking, well, who do you love more, you know, because you say the same word? Well, there they use specific words, okay? But anytime they wanted to show the opposite, they would put a little negative prefix on it. It's, it's the first letter of the Greek called an alpha. It looks a little bit like a, our Christian symbol of a fish. And when they would use that alpha, they did it very importantly because it made the exact opposite of what the word was. Are you tracking with me or am I clear as mud? Okay. I mean, they could have used some other words, but they wanted it to be very specific. They wanted it to be the exact opposite. Okay. Well, the word that Paul uses that he negates or uses the opposite of is the word that you and I clearly understand in English as the word hypocrite. Paul used that word because the hypocrite, well, that's who Jesus tackled with the pharisees the religious fakes okay that's what it meant a fake a play actor a deceitful person who says one thing maybe even act one way but when his life is really boiled down it's the exact opposite it would be like i mean i don't i don't you know i well i don't care uh, it would be like you living a certain way on Sunday, okay? It would be like your pastor standing up here taking the Bible and sharing good little homilies or studies or words. But then on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, you see me doing, saying, going places that I should not go and say and do. You with me? What, what am I? Well, I'm a hypocrite. I'm playing to be a Christian or I'm playing to be a, a preacher on Sunday. I got a mask in front of me. I'm, but then the rest of the week, the mask is off and I'm just running after the world and the world's things. Now, let me be careful. We're sinners. We're saved. We're sinners. So don't misunderstand what I'm trying. Hypocrites were not saved. Okay? They didn't struggle with those sin issues. They just played a game. Well, Paul put that little opposite of it so that he could say to Timothy, an old man worried about his boy, knowing he's about soon to die, and Timothy is going to have to go alone. All of Asia is going to have to be run by Timothy, and Paul's not going to be there with him. And so he says to Timothy, Timothy, here's what I want you to know. There's nothing fake in you. Timothy, there's nothing fake about you. There's nothing fake about your grandmother. There's nothing fake about your mother. They were what they believed, and it showed in how they lived their life. And gang, I want to tell you, I think for old, frail Timothy, he needed to hear that because his mentor, was about to get his head chopped off I submit you need that daddies trying to raise your families mothers trying to hold it all together god bless you single moms you need to know sincere faith and that you're going to make it when all the world is dumping in on you Maybe even your ex is not even helping you support. I, you know what ticks me off? Dead beat dads that can't. 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 Something happening here. <laughs> that can't and won't help their ex wives feed their children. I, I just, I, you know, it's a decadent society. That, that allows that and so you single moms those you who believe in Jesus and do your best to follow the best you can don't you stop be sincere in it because God knows it and God will make it right at the end okay by the way let me let me be careful here uh, I think Paul had a great influence in Timothy I think his grandmother and his mother had incredible influence but Listen, justification by faith isn't based upon the influence of someone else. It's based upon the sovereign work of God. God saved that boy, Timothy, okay? Now, there's no doubt exposure helps. Man, he was exposed by grandma, and he was exposed to the truth by mother. And then Paul came along in his life and exposed him. And I think it was easier for Timothy to understand the calling and the wooing and the conviction of sin that God does before he saves his soul, okay? But it was God that did it, but he was influenced and became very sincere. So here's what I say to you, especially when it's time to die. But now that it's time to live, you better have a clear conscience. You better have a sincere faith. That's what's going to carry you through some of the trials. When you get words from a doctor you don't want to hear, or when you hear words from a lover that you don't want to hear or a husband comes in or a wife comes in and says, I don't love you anymore, I don't want to be with you anymore. If you get word about a child that has rebelled, which is so common, that's because we rebelled from ours. Uh, when you get those kind of words, it's good to know that your conscience is clear because of Christ and your faith is sincere through Christ, okay? Now, there's one last thing. I want you to look at verse 6, and then then we'll be through, okay? And again... Can I remind you, the old man of God is about gone. Timothy basically is going to have to do it on his own. So in verse six, he said, "There's a reason why I'm 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 giving you all this, Timothy. You've got to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you." Okay. Now, what what is he mean by the gift of God? Well, we know that salvation is a gift of God, but he's not talking about salvation here because Timothy was saved and. Timothy was pastoring. I mean, we know that eternal life is not by works. It's a gift of Godless any man should boast. What, what Paul is referring to here is what we in church refer to as spiritual gifts. Paul knew that whatever God wanted to do through Timothy, God had already planted in him by giving him some spiritual abilities. Let me tell you a beautiful thing about this God of ours and the beautiful thing about this church that he has... Us planted into. At the moment that God declares you justified, at the moment He accepts you and He gives you His righteousness and He takes your sinfulness and lays on the account of His Son, at that moment God gives you one or more spiritual abilities, not a toy, a tool, to be used to glorify Him in the church of Jesus Christ. The The body, everything that God wants done in the church, God instills within the body, the members of the body, as he deems appropriate to do what the body's supposed to do. Now, sometimes we do things we shouldn't do, and we cause ourselves heartaches and bruises. But everything that God wants done, God places within the members as he deems appropriate, and that's called a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts, And that's what he's talking about here. Now, I don't know what yours is, okay? You may have the gift of hospitality. You like to open your doors, and you like to have people over, and you like to encourage people through hospitality, okay? I don't have that. I'd like to come to your house and eat. I could help you, (laughs) those of you that have it. God may have given you the gift of encouragement. I love this. Man, I love. I like hanging out with people, and when they walk away, I want them walking away smiling. I want them going away from me better than when they came. That's called the gift of encouragement. I love that. Some have the gift of teaching. I teach my partner, my teaching partner, Leanne Holly, in her preteens, and she's got it. The girl can teach. She may not cook, Dustin, but she can teach, you know. Why is that? Because she likes to do research. She likes to figure these things out. That's called the gift of teaching. And there's other gifts that God gives in the body to help the body do what the body needs to do. And that's what he, he's talking about. Now, here's what he's telling Timothy. He said, Timothy, keep the fire bright. Keep it burning until it's time for you to leave. And by the way, Timothy, you can do it because God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, which is a little kind of a play on words. But he's given us a spirit of courage, power, love, and discipline. I didn't say this in the early service. I wish I had. But I want you to look at at verse 6, I mean verse 7. Because I actually think the word spirit there should be capitalized. Okay? Now, some say yes, some say no. I'm just telling you what I think. For God has not given us a holy spirit of fear, but a holy spirit. Spirit. Power, love, and discipline. And so I say to you, dear people, here's how you live in a world that's gone wrong. You live it because your conscience is clear. Your faith is sincere. And you are understanding of what your gift is and you're kindling it. You're putting it to work. Nothing in the Bible refers to a Christian sitting and spreading in a chair. We're to be serving in the body of Christ. So, Timothy, I am soon to be gone. You keep it going until you're gone. And I submit to you that what Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul was writing to you and I under the inspiration of, Of the Holy Spirit so is your conscience clear is your faith sincere is the fire burning Hmm? let's pray in a moment our team is going to come and we're gonna have a time called response whatever you want to call it it's really a moment for you and God to maybe think about what's been said, uh, maybe to scratch your head on it, see if you're supposed to do anything about it, whether it's sitting there or whether it's down here. Sometimes we use this for a moment. If you want to join, we'd love to have you. Uh, sometimes people need to follow the Lord in baptism. Some pe- sometimes people will say, you know, I really need to confess Christ as Savior. Sometimes you just need prayer. So I'll pray. We'll stand. Stu will sing. And then we'll go from there. Father, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love your word. I'm thankful that I can have a faith that's genuine, have a mind that's clear, and I can have a gift to use for the glory of God and the greatest thing in the world, and that is the bride of Christ, the church. I pray perhaps some today, need a little fresh kindling, a little stirring of embers, God, would you begin it now, pray. Holy Spirit, you'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.